0: Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you.
1: I got a six-year-old in my calculus class in college, and it's going to take my job. What is this
0: nonsense? Comic Sans? Butler had never seen this film, and I got the indication that he hated it. She's like... You pussy, get back in the game. He rebels against maturity by taking a job at a movie. Th- oh, no, I'm sorry. That's me. At a video store. Well, this is now owned by Disney, so you're going to see a remake <laughs> at some point. Hey, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because the more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the film or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of 175 episodes for your listening pleasure.
1: We're probably oh, at 200 yeah. now, aren't we? Uh, I would imagine we're there by now. Yep. Hmm. I should probably change that. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing
0: swell. Well, I've I've watched a movie much better than last week's movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say if you didn't like this film this week, uh, we were gonna fight.
1: <laughs> but uh, I I gotta say I'm in trouble. Field I I've been placing bets. I've been placing bets like crazy, <laughs> and uh, I I owe fifteen hundred dollars to the wrong people, who I'm also somewhat involved with. It's it's very terribly complicated.
0: This <laughs> is Miller's Crossing. <laughs> That's not the
1: synopsis. (laughs) (laughs) When the Italian mafia threatens to kill a crooked bookie, Irish mob boss Leo O'Bannon refuses to allow it, chiefly because he's dating the bookie's sister. Crafty gun mall Verna Birnbaum, Leo's right-hand man, Tom Reagan, is also seeing Verna on the sly, and when he's found out is obliged to switch sides, going to work for the Italian mob amidst a dramatically escalating gang war over liquor distribution. Uh, that's an okay summary. It's not just liquor distribution, but okay. Uh, yeah.
0: I mean, the whole thing is
1: also running the betting bets, but
0: there's some prohibition (sighs) talk there. There's some prohibition jokes as well that are, that are peppered in there. Oh Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: This this movie which is a drama has far more comedy than Night in the Life of Jimmy Reed.
0: <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, man. We're past that. We're past that one. That no. was last week. We're we're lasting <laughs> it. Let it go. No. Phyllis <laughs> <laughs> Crossing has a runtime of 115 minutes. It's rated R. Production budget is somewhere between 10 million and 14 million. It says fourteen million on IMDB, but when there's a interview with either Joel or Ethan and they were like they were they said they were well below fourteen. Hmm. Uh so let's get ten to fourteen. A limited release date. Uh, February, excuse me. Jeez. A Friday, September 21st, 1990. It's opening weekend. It was in one theater. It did $28,000. Domestic was 5 million and then no international worldwide was 5 million. So it did not do well at the box office and shame on all of you who didn't go. (laughs) That's surprising considering that this is already after Raising Arizona. Well that's the thing though. It's nothing like Raising Arizona. It's not a comedy yet. Right. Yeah, they don't they, and it's really good and people don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Production company was Circle Films and 20th Century Fox and it was distributed by 20th Century Fox as well. 21st of September uh, went up against a wide release Funny About Love and Narrow Margin. The week after the 28th you had Pacific Heights and Dark Angel in a wide release. Did you ever see Pacific Heights? no i know of, but i've never seen it that was like the movie where michael keaton was bad he was the bad guy and it was like the first time at least in my experience of watching a film where michael keaton's the bad guy i mean I technically like, oh, he's the bad guy in beetlejuice true but he was funny in beetlejuice <laughs> that's true uh you also had a limited release that week texasville uh, which is i believe the sequel to the best little horror house in texas and king of new york which a lot of people like king of new york with christopher walken mm-hmm. uh now this is going to sound familiar everyone because the week before you had a movie that we just did a couple weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, State of Grace came out a limited release on the 14th. Oh, snap. Yeah, I know. And why release you a death warrant, crush from the edge and hardware. And you also had repossessed that same week at limited release. And if you remember when we talked about State of Grace, we said one of the reasons why we think it didn't do well, amongst other reasons. But one of the reasons was because on the 19th, you had Goodfellas that came out on a well, wide release and that That's Wednesday. why Miller's Crossing died. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, that could be. Um, Goodfellas probably ate up everything, but. So there you go right there. That'll be, stay tuned for the, why we think it's forgotten. <laughs> uh, this movie uh, is obviously a Coen brothers film. If you do not know who the Coen brothers are, um, uh, I, I really impress upon you to go back and watch their movies. They are quite simply fantastic. listen, even their bad. Even the ones that there's no bad ones, but even the ones that maybe you just don't like as much, they're still good films. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never watched a Coen Brothers film where I've been like, that was just terrible. Never watched one that, didn't, that was like that. So anyways, they have done Burn After Reading. That was an episode. That was the one we did with uh, Andrew Morgan back in season two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also did Blood Simple. Blood Simple is their first film. Their last film, uh, it was The Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, they also, uh, call, Joel Cohen has won an Oscar for Fargo. He was nominated for an Oscar for Oh Brother, We're Out right There. This is for director. He's won two Oscars for No Country for Old Men and for director and writer. I forgot to write down their fourth Oscar, but they both they both have four Oscars. I just don't know where the, where the fourth one comes from. Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen have the writing credit on this movie. They've written Suburbicon. These are movies that they have not done uh, in terms of directing. Suburbicon, Bridge of Spies, Unbroken, and Gambit. Uh, and they were also nominated for Oscars for writing for The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Bridge of Spies as well, True Crit, and A Serious Man. So all those films are, I, I mean, I just, I can't say enough. Anyways, the cinematography mm-hmm. was Barry Sonnenfeld. He might sound familiar. He is a director as well right now. Uh, he's on Three O'Clock High, Big, and Misery. Misery was his last film that he was the director of photography for, cinematographer for, before he went on to do... Uh, you know, directing stuff, directorial work. Right. Composer was Carter Burwell, who's uh, nominated for two Oscars, one for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri and Carol. He's also done the founder, which is an episode we did. And the new movie that's out right now by, uh, what is it? Martin McDonough, uh, the Banshees of Inishirin. Mm-hmm. I do want to see that really bad. I know you do. Edited by Michael Miller, <laughs> who's done DOA an episode. We did Anaconda and Raising Arizona. Produced by Ethan Cohen as well, who's done all, obviously produced all the movies, but I wanted to get a movie that he produced that he didn't direct or write, and that was Bad Santa. That was the only one I could find. (laughs) This film has Gabriel Byrne as Tom Regan. Oh, Regan. He did, uh, he's in The Usual Suspects, Hereditary and End of Days. Marsha Gay Harden as Verna. She won an Oscar for her role in Pollock. She also was nominated for an Oscar for her role in Mystic River. She's also in The Mist. John Turturro as Bernie Birnbaum. Barton Fink, The Lebowski, and I just was talking to Butler off camera about this the TV show Severance. Marsha Gay Harden was also in Meet Joe Black. She was in Meet Joe Black, which was season four. Nice job, I think. No, you're right. John Polito as Johnny Casper, who's in The Crow, The Tailor of Panama, an episode we did Butler, and The Rocketeer. Mm -hmm. J.E. Freeman as Eddie Dane from Patriot Games, Alien Resurrection, and Wild at Heart. Albert Finney as Leo. Uh, the mob boss that Butler referred to, he's nominated for six, uh, five Oscars. Tom Jones, The Dresser, Under the Volcano, Aaron Brokovich, and Murder on the Orient Express, the original Murder on the Orient Express. Mike Starr is Frankie. He's one of the tough guys, the guys that, uh, which we'll talk about that scene when he gets punched and runs out. Uh, he's an <laughs> Ed Wood, Dumb and Dumber, and Jersey Girl, Al Mancini, plays Tic Tac. Uh, Al Mancini was in The Dirty Dozen and Falling Down. And uh, Steve Buscemi is Mink for a small role. This is actually, I think this is Steve Buscemi's first film role. Uh, He's in Reservoir Dogs, Fargo, and Ghost World. Uh, Buscemi, I believe, got this part because he could say the lines fast. Yeah, he spoke fast, so they had him. Uh, Michael Jeter's in this, and I couldn't find him. Uh, He plays Adolf. He must be somewhere where I just probably just missed him. Is he the twins? I don't. I thought so, but I couldn't. They didn't hold on to them long enough for me to sit there and go, is that them? (laughs) <laughs> uh, Michael, uh, you had Michael Batalucci in there as the Butler, Casper's Butler. Uh, he's in a bunch of stuff. You've probably seen him in Old Brother of Arthur as well. Sam Raimi,
1: did you see Sam Raimi in that I, Butler? Oh yeah, Sam Raimi has got a it's it's a cameo, but it's a, more than just like a walkout. It's funny,
0: yeah. It's good. <laughs> uh, he's in there. His his uh, role, his uh, character title is Snickering Gunman. <laughs> this
1: is and probably fun. a little bit after where they because Sam Raimi. Francis McDormand and the Cohen brothers, along with I think Bruce Campbell, all lived together through the 80s
0: in like a giant well, house. Yeah. Francis McDormand is married to Joel Cohen at the time. Well, she still yeah. is, but she's yeah. in this as the mayor secretary. Oh, were they so. already married by now? Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, there you have it. That's the cast. Um, now, I already mentioned that I love this film. So, um, we know where I stand. Well, <laughs> where do you stand? This movie sucks. Yeah, I know. Nah, this kill movie you. I'll this will kill movie,
1: you. <laughs> this movie is great. I love I love the storyline. I love the the redemption of this character, which then unredeems himself. Uh I, I love that it's I love the plot twists that they have in the film. I love the way it's shot. I love the acting. I think this is probably now my favorite Albert Finney role I've ever seen. Like he's this, just your, this awesome. isn't your is this your first time that I've seen Albert Finney? No, this movie. Oh, this is my, that's why I put this on the list. Oh, okay. I've never seen this or blood simple. Uh, th- this movie is, is phenomenal. This is probably, you talked about this in the last episode at the ending, like this would be one of your top five mm-hmm. Coen brothers movies. I think this would definitely be on my top five.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I so, just, there's almost ahead. nothing about this movie. I don't like,
0: well, at what point, cause I'm curious, you're watching the film. It starts at what point are you saying to yourself? I really, really like this movie during the, like what point in the movie? Ugh.
1: I mean, I do like, I love how, I don't love the opening credit sequence, but I understand a movie of the early nineties needs a really boring opening credit sequence. I don't like th- it's I, really see, tough not to. You're
0: talking just because there was credits?
1: Just, uh, yeah, but I've seen people do credits better, but I've also seen people do just as boring credits. Mm-hmm. So like, I get that they have to be there. So I, I didn't hold that against the film. I just hoped it wouldn't set the tone of the film mm-hmm. and it really didn't. That opening conversation kind of does. I think the first time I realized I loved the film was the very first time they broke up a speakeasy. Okay. As soon as it went and it's just slapstick, stupid comedy going on behind a very dramatic tense thriller, Mm -hmm. just that it's thrown in there and they don't give two shits about it. It's just happening behind him. I was like,
0: I love this, and the co- and the cops talking. I oh, don't. What's we can't keep Whoa, doing this. I'm so. just
1: a. I'm just a police chief. It's <laughs> like just he's on the police chief Tom. I'm just a police chief. I don't know what's going on. And he says it like three times. I was like, this is awesome. I love these like throwaway comedic lines in this very serious movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's either that solidified this movie, and I think what stamped it as one of my favorite uh, Coen Brothers movies is Albert Finney just being a badass escaping out of his that's house. That's a great. That's a great. That scene, scene is. Freaking awesome! <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a great scene when uh, the brothers talking about how that they they send guys to go kill him in his in his house and he's in his room and he can hear him and he just he can see the smoke coming up from the because they shoot they kill one guy strangle one guy downstairs and a cigarette lights a fire and as they're walking up the stairs and the is finny or leo sees the smoke coming up from the from the uh wood so he just calmly puts his cigar out puts it back in his pocket it's <laughs> under the bed they come and start ripping the place up i oh that's a great that's like one of the classic um like when somebody's like oh give me like you know the, if i was asked to do a coen brothers montage edit a montage of all their movies and like oh, scenes from the films like that's the scene where he's in the middle of the street with the tommy gun just fucking blasting away oh yep. just yeah walk and, in and just walking yeah no, no no yeah it's awesome yeah that's a great <laughs> scene oh he just slides up like we're watching it and jody's and because jody's half asleep and she's like wow i have can really move I go, that's not him <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that it's not him <laughs> slides down the uh the rooftop the rooftop grabs out of the edge of the rooftop drops down, gets ready for them to come out. Yeah. No, Wearing that's his great.
1: pajamas and slippers the whole freaking time. <laughs> yeah. No, and when he t- takes out that first guy under the bed, mm-hmm. he just gets him in oh, the right ankle the head. And right in the yeah. head. Yeah. And they mentioned that a couple of times, the whole, like got to hit him in the brain.
0: Oh uh, yeah. Uh, Johnny Casper's like, I always tell my boys, put one in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. I love. Awesome. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this film that I like. I, I, I love, I want to start asking people, what's the rumpus now? Like every time <laughs> someone comes out, what's the rumpus? Like, oh, they're just, big on the four, on the 20 speak. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I love all that. There's so many good moments in this film. There's so many great lines in this movie where it's two hour film but it doesn't, it never feels that you're just engrossed in the film itself. You're engrossed in the story. All the characters are well-rounded, even like the throwaway characters of like Frankie and Tic Tac, the two bullies, like that whole idea of the one big guy, when he, when he goes to punch, he's supposed to beat up. Uh, Tom. Tom and Tom punches him and he runs Look, away. Tom like, doesn't cr- punch him. He slits him with a chair. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> but Jesus, runs, Tom! But he runs away <laughs> and he like he's like, oh, anyone? Come on, Tom! And he runs away. And then Tic Tac comes in. He's much smaller and he's clearly more afraid of Tic Tac. <laughs> <Yep. They're laughs> smaller and older, and he still yeah. beats the crap out of him. Yeah, I I love that. I'm always gonna sit here and I'm always gonna champion the Cohen brothers in terms of storytelling because I just think they they just. They're just, they're really, really good. They really get it. So there's, there's very little for me to not like about this film. I don't know if you have any negatives on this film. We don't have to get negative. We can keep going positive, (laughs) Um, but but give me something else that popped out that came, that popped out for you. uh, John Polito has so much screen
1: time and I've always liked John Polito. and I'm glad he wasn't just like when it started, I was like, all right, it's Casper wants the hit, but they're going to focus on Tom and Leo. We're not going to go back to Casper. And then Tom goes to work for Casper or so you think. Mm-hmm. And you just get so much John Polito stuff, including him with his son, which oh, is just hilarious. Scene. I love you, that. You gotta confirm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love pick a hand. Pick another one. And he picks the same hand and he just goes, ah, You got it. <laughs> that's just that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, when he hits the kid, he goes. You got to be firm. And he's mm-hmm. crying, and he cries for the rest of the scene
0: together yeah. with him. <laughs> he just slaps <laughs> back, backhands him. You see him. You're gonna be like him. He only talks when he needs to speak. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, there's just so many, so many good lines, and like, hey, how easily swayed he is by Tom.
0: Yeah, like he, Tom really does a good job, of like just sinking his hooks in there. And I, I really love when because the way that Tom gets in with, uh, Lee, uh, excuse me, not with Johnny is that he tells Leo that he's sleeping with Verna mm-hmm. and Leo asks him later. He's like, did you mean to, you know, did you really mean to tell me that, or something like that? Or Verna asked him. I don't remember who. And he's just like, "What does it matter at this point?" And I wonder. I always yeah. wonder. Like, was that his intent, just to just basically unburden his soul, or did he figure, "I need to go." If he's not going to take care of Johnny, I will. The only way I can get over there is he needs to beat the shit out of me in front of everybody.
1: Yeah. He even says, to "Leo," or no, Leo <laughs> says, "Did you mean to tell me?" And he goes, "I don't know. Maybe I did."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or was that part of your plan? He goes, "No. It was." Is that part of your plan? He goes, "Maybe it was. I don't know." <laughs>
0: mhm.
1: But I I love that scene too because Leo's look at looks finds out gets that long stare and you just get a huh and he looks out the window of his uh his office which by the way looks like exactly like the mob boss's office in uh 1989's Batman before Jack Nicholson kills him. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. It's like right. pretty much spot on. But like he leaves that office and you see him walking and Leo's got a ridiculous amount of people guarding him. Almost a a com- like a comedic amount of people guarding him. Mm-hmm. and then you see leo start to walk down remove his coat roll up his sleeves and just like oh something's
0: gonna happen <sighs> and he punches him wow they're good punches they're like they're real they're like stage punches they're like classic hollywood stage style punches you know sure, like, yeah but they're great <laughs> well this
1: movie is steeped in like it's it's only semi-realistic because the movie itself is steeped in that 1920s those neon noirs that came out after mm-hmm. that time period and it it absolutely is the punches the look of the sets everything you need to see mm-hmm. and John Turturro is Bernie is Bernie is awesome I've always loved John Taturo. I think he's a fantastic actor uh, but his job as Bernie is is like so duplicitous and so smart and yet so stupid at the same time yeah he's so well written
0: like I, he, he he gets outplayed he gets uh, at the end which is a great uh, the end is is fantastic but um, before I get to the ending um, the when he when they take when they get Bernie and they take him out to the to Miller's Crossing to shoot him and they want Tom to shoot him not knowing what you know happens later on mm-hmm. do you think that Tom's hesitation was because he never killed before or because he had to kill Bernie it's because
1: Tom has never killed before Do you think so yeah, that's what I got the whole time he's always been the, the ear I don't think he's ever been the hand Mm-hmm. I don't think he's ever gotten his hands dirty because he's always been smart. That's because he wanted to kill Bernie. I, I I don't think his plan was ever to let Bernie go because Bernie alive or dead meant nothing to Tom, especially in the end. Like you said, knowing what I know, I know his plan was never, Bernie was never his plan, but I even got that impression to begin with because he go, he go he's ready for them to kill Bernie and then they hand him the gun and you can see the look of, it's one of the few moments he's not, cool and collected
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he's just like me like you know he's not the trigger man
0: you don't think there's you don't think there's a hesitation there because he loves Verna
1: no because i don't think he does really even though he tells her i don't think he can love
0: mm-hmm.
1: i think he loves leo not in a like a, a well, romantic gotcha. sense but like I in gotcha. a in a this is obviously he does all of this to protect leo and set him back up and you'd think maybe he's doing all of this to become the head of the city because he's smart enough to, but no, he gives it back to Leo because he's always been Leo's, his, his number one. I think Tom is so ingrained in the life. He doesn't know how to love. He, that, that little heart he has that Fernan talks about is with Leo. Mm-hmm. Like his loyalty.
0: And the line that I'm talking about, obviously, is when the first time that Tom takes Bernie out to the Miller's cross and to shoot him. The only time, actually, Uh, Bernie's like (laughs) Bernie's like quivering and screaming and crying. Oh, look at you! Look in your heart! Look in your heart! And then he lets him go. And then at the end, when he turns the tables, and he basically he set the whole thing up where he told Johnny Casper that Bernie was going to be. At this place we're gonna, oh no, he say that Mick's gonna be there. We're gonna go get him. Yep. Bernie's there, Bernie shoots him, and then he kills Bernie because he's gonna blame it on Johnny Casper. But like Bernie does the same thing, you know, oh look in your heart. And he's like, What heart? What is Which is a great line. So I like that they come back around to that because even Bernie says when when he lets Bernie go, and then Bernie comes back into his room and he's like, you know, I figure I'm gonna be a problem for you because nobody's supposed to see me. So you need to take care of me. And then it, it, Tom jumps down to try to catch him. I love that scene. Yeah. And he's, that's why Bernie's we, yeah. like not just a loser. He's, he's more three dimensional than that. He's yeah, he's smart, but he's smart knowing that his tactic would be to whine Cause he says, what do we do? I just couple, give you a couple squirts and you'll let me go. Yeah. I love that line. A
1: couple of yeah. squirts.
0: You're going to kill
1: me. You can't kill me. I just give you a couple squirts and you let me go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So right from the start the movie opens and what we get is this Godfather like scene this opening scene where Johnny Casper's asking Leo, telling Leo that he wants to kill Bernie because Bernie's been selling his
1: tips. Yeah. He's fixing bets, but Bernie's finding out about his fix. Mm-hmm. Or Bernie's always
0: known about his fix and bets against his fix. Right. Right. He's, he's making money off of him. Yep. So what I like about the scene is you immediately get these, the action that sets this whole movie in place, uh, that, mm-hmm. that sets it all to start. And I think it's, it's, it's so simple, but you get, Casper saying, I want to kill this guy. Leo saying, no, there's your, there's the beginning of, you know, the conflict that's going to happen throughout this movie. Not even that. You also get Tom saying, I don't think that's a good idea. You get Tom disagrees and you get all that, but but then there's, you know, they start building off of that, but you get it immediately. And it's like, it's so simple. And yet so many storytellers don't do that. They don't, I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe they just, the story doesn't line up that way, but they don't set it up. And I don't, it's like, it just. It baffles me when I watch They take movies. too long to
1: get to the setup. Yes. That's
0: this movie does it so
1: well that I had to pause the movie to make sure I didn't accidentally skip ahead. <laughs> I was like, am I in the middle of a conversation? No, nope, we're just finding out everything at the beginning. All right. I'm good with that.
0: Yeah. And I know it's been referenced that it's like Godfather, and Godfather does the same thing. But Godfather's there to set up who Don Corleone is. Yeah, it's uh, not the storyline for the film. Right, it sets up the character of him, and and you know you know what he, the type of person he's like. This one's just like, here we go. Here's the movie. This is where we're gonna go and start, and then you just go from there. Which I think it, it, it's just like again, it's just so simple. Yet I feel like I need to keep bringing it up because it's just like it's just so well done, and it's never done enough. Like you said,
1: I also liked that the film itself the story that they tell is kind of an Irish mob boss against an Italian mob boss, Mm -hmm. but it's not done in a way that's the way it's overdone where it's just all about somebody being an Irish and somebody being Italian. It's not done in a a racial kind of like stereotype way.
0: It just just happens to be there's an Irish mob boss and an Italian mob boss. It's two warring factions kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I I liked that about it. I know we talked about like, like we did state of grace a couple of weeks ago where that was kind of one of the main themes of the film. Um, or the through lines, but in this, it's like, they kind of were harmonious until they weren't
0: right. And, you know, and just to kind of reference Data of grace, you know, I know when we talked about the movie, I told you, there's still stuff that you know, I enjoyed in that film, but like you, you, if you're like going to have me compare this film to that film, there's no way there's no comparison. Miller's right. crossing is, is phenomenal. It is just extremely well-written and well-directed and well put together. Um, Whereas you know there, I can't I can't sit here and tell you any kind of problem I have with this film. State of Grace, yes, obviously there are some issues that I had. This film is just I I, I hesitate to say they're perfect, but it's really good. <laughs> it's really really close, really close. Um, but,
1: and, go ahead. Another, I like the character of Verna. I was going to bring up that they do strong female characters very well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Obviously, Fargo. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But in, in this. Verna's not written. She is still kind of like the. Oh, what, what's the name for him? Like the, the dame in uh, noir films. There's like a damsel in distress. No, the where they kind of screw you over just because of who they are. Kind of the opposite of femme the. Femme fatale. In distress. Yeah. She's kind of the femme fatale in that her relationship with both Leo and Tom kind of screws over Tom. Mm-hmm. But she's not a femme fatale. But she's also not like a damsel in distress. She's strong. She's playing she her own gives. angle. Yeah. yeah, she is. And She can give as good as she takes. I love the scene when he walks into the powder room, tells all the ladies to get out. And then uh, she slaps him first and slugs him so hard, he goes flying back. Mm-hmm. And then he throws like, a shot glass and then she throws something back at him. Mm-hmm. It's like she's never, until obviously Eddie holds her hostage for a brief moment, but she gets away. She's never presented as weak or not strong-willed or easily manipulated she's a very strong female character even though she might not know exactly what's going on and what angle tom's playing
0: well she gets played though by tom because she thinks that tom's going to protect bernie and at the the last time you kind of see her she kisses him on the cheek because you know she she, thinks he's keeping him alive right and then obviously the next time you see her she hates him because (laughs) because bernie's dead and But still, she's part of the game. She's she's playing her own angle. She just lost what she was trying to do, which is protect her brother. But her brother is 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 somebody that is irredeemable. He's you know, he needed to go.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is what Tom
0: sees from the get-go. It's like Leo doesn't want to kill Bernie because
1: of Verna, but Tom realizes it needs to happen.
0: Right. Because otherwise it's gonna be
1: a war. And and Honestly, like Leo ends up on top because Casper dies, but Leo loses almost all of his speakeasies according to what Casper says.
0: He also loses uh, Tom yep. at the end of the film, obviously we talk about, what do you think about the ending, the the final shot of the film where Tom, Leo leaves, he tells, he tells Leo, I don't, we're not, you know, we're I'm not done. coming back to work. Yeah. Not coming back. Tom puts his hat on and he kind of stares at Leo walking away and the camera kind of zooms in or dollies in and then you see tom's trying to hold back tears. What do you think about that ending?
1: Is he trying to hold back tears? Well I had to I didn't s- get why he was lower in the head. I was like, I don't I, I quite think get that. see I
0: had this I was having this conversation with Adrian um, who I've mentioned quite frequently on the show. Uh, I was asking him like what did you think about this? Do you remember the ending and we were trying to talk about that because Uh, I I felt like he was hiding, he was hiding himself underneath the hat to hide his emotion. You know, he's basically telling Leo, I can't be with, you know, we can't be together anymore, but I think that hurts Tom. I think that pains him. You talk about how how he, he loves Leo. Yeah. I think he's trying to hide that emotion from, from Leo, which is why he's putting his hat down. But at the same time, Leo's so far away from
1: Tom. I think that's what confused me. And Leo doesn't look back. If Leo maybe looked back, Maybe. I mean, he does lower in kind of like a noir kind of way, so True, that's what I thought they were getting be, at. Yeah. But I yeah. was a little confused about that. But it does make sense. If he's holding back tears, then I like that. I'm no longer confused. I I like that because... We'll go back to that because you can see his eyes are, are bloodshot. I'll have to, yeah. yeah Because yeah. He, he does love Leo and he protected Leo, but he can't keep covering for a mob boss that although he's still badass is weakening. He's becoming a big softy And Verna... They're getting married. She is going to have a voice in his ear and it's not a good one.
0: I think Tom realizes, yeah, what's going to happen? What's going to come? You know, it's not if he stays around, he's just going to get himself... He's gonna get himself in trouble. He's, he's just he's,
1: gonna have to keep fixing issues. Like he squared his and bets over. up.
0: Yeah, all that. He just No, I'm guess. Well, he and,
1: doesn't square his bets off unless he wins yeah, that next he bet. Won that he one, just yeah. Placed, yeah.
0: But I wonder, like, is he gonna stay in town? Is he leaving? Is he like? I, I always wondered what happens to Tom after the credits roll. Like, where is he going? Like, what's his life like now?
1: But, I wouldn't mind a Miller's Crossing sequel where he is the
0: Leo. <laughs> yeah, they'll never do it, but yeah.
1: Just to see where he's at, maybe. But Maybe. he probably got cirrhosis of the liver. I mean, this guy drinks like so much. They
0: all drink and smoke. <laughs> Big thing.
1: Like, oh my God. They drink so much. <laughs> the other thing in movies, like this movie has it too. And I'm starting to get sick of it. Is the constant drinking straight whiskey or vodka and not having that burned throat. Just being like, all right. Like, well, I don't no know. No one does that. I don't care. Well, how long you have been drinking?
0: I don't know the history of alcohol. So I don't know this, but I also don't know alcohol back then compared to alcohol now and if there's a difference if it was watered down a lot stuff like that you know what i mean like i don't know the prohibition stuff is but i know tom's got
1: tom's got the real stuff but i know he talks about how the club has you know is basically paint thinner Mm -hmm. because the top the club definitely has prohibition alcohol where tom has probably legit smuggled imported stuff like probably in leo's office as well
0: Mm -hmm. well maybe but obviously, the
1: mayor's just going to let him have whatever he wants because the mayor's in both, <laughs> both Leo and then Casper's pot. Like the mayor and the chief can't wait for one of them to be the leaders. They're so useless on their own. Well, but I love can't. the scene with the mayor and Casper. Oh, when he's yelling Tom at him. Tom walks in. You know, <laughs> when Leo was here, I don't remember any kind of bullshit you had to pull. You put him in whatever role he told you. I don't remember ever having to pull any strings for anybody. <laughs> get out of the office this
0: is my office. get out of the office tom tell him how it's done tom you know <laughs> did I'm you just see a, i'm just a police chief tom did you see that the dane was actually supposed to be the swede um peter stormare was going to be in this movie
1: i did and i was a little i mean i like J. A. Fr- J. E. freeman in the role mm-hmm. but i love peter stormare so i would have loved for it to be the swede yeah he
0: was doing hamlet on broadway so he couldn't do the movie but they rewrote it and, had the, and made it the dame i, I love the scene with the dane in when he's holding verna hostage uh or not holding the hostage. He goes to talk to her and then those two guys show up
1: uh, yeah, he's
0: using more like armor not so much a hostage right 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 so that, and then when he's talking to he, he calls him a yeg but a yeg is not his name it's like a term for a it's a it's, it's a term that's used for safe cracker but it's sometimes used for general criminals and cops and old cops and robbers movies so you hear it a couple of times and they call call people Yeggs
1: I saw that I didn't know what it meant until I looked up the notes as well I was like right. oh okay
0: I thought it was maybe a derogatory term for somebody <laughs> right right so, but the scene when he is holding the gun on the guy and getting the information and the guy tells him and then he shoots him before he shoots him when he cocks the gun, I love the sound effect of the of the gun the old style gun you know, the, the hammer being cocked back, yep. it, it was, I don't know what it was. I don't know if they were, you know, maybe the sound guy had a good day that day, but the Foley artist did well, but it was just <laughs> so, such a great, uh, sound effect. I was like, Ooh, and then he blows him
1: away. <laughs> I love that. He shoots through the, uh, the second guy kind of gets away through the, uh, the, on against the wall on the other uh, side. Right. Right. He shoots through the door and the wall and then you just wait a moment and the guy flops down dead.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: thought that was good. I was like, ah, eh, the wall didn't protect you. <laughs>
0: And then the Dane gets it in the face.
1: Uh, (laughs) Poor Dane just kind of was, knew it all along. Was almost just as smart as Tom. Kept getting, at every turn, he just kept getting proved wrong. Well, that shows. goes to
0: show you, like, the bosses are the boss, Both bosses are the bosses, but they're the bosses because of the right-hand men. And when you don't listen to the right-hand man, you know, then what's going to happen?
1: Yeah, when you start hearing other voices, you get confused.
0: Yeah. The man, the
1: Dane gets the... Hot shovel in the face, and then the uh, the the bullet in the brain, and then
0: the, and then the boxer that he beat up to get the information. Just, just screaming.
1: No!
0: <laughs> so quiet, and he just <laughs> shuts up right away. Yeah. Uh, now, did, did you see that? um, Leo was actually the character. Albert Finney character was actually going to be played by Trey Wilson, the guy who was Nathan Arizona's senior in Raising Arizona. I did
1: see that and he had to get replaced because he passed away.
0: He had a brain hemorrhage like a few before production began and passed away. He like, he was like 41 uh, and he died. And I was, and I'm sitting there going, that always depresses me, you know, because number one, I'm 47 Uh, and I'm just like, oh, but brain hemorrhages can happen to anybody at any time. I know it's the scariest thing. What I was thinking about with Trey Wilson was that I don't know if he would have been good for this role. I I, I was thinking the same thing, and it's because Albert Finney's so good. It's his, he, (laughs) Albert Finney
1: just took the role. Like, it's his role. And last minute, Uh, wasn't it like the week before shooting or something like that?
0: I can't uh, remember. Something like that. And like, they weren't gonna, like, Gabriel Byrne, he wasn't gonna have an Irish accent. And he, he, Told the Cohen brothers, like, listen, I think that a lot of the line, a lot of the dialogue that I'm saying would is gonna flow. It's it's gonna flow better with the accent. It's and he should he did it for them and they were like, Yeah, I agree. It and does do
1: better with that affected accent yes. for
0: sure. And then when Albert Finney shows up, Albert Finney just does the does his accent, does does an an Irish accent for the movie. I so, felt like his he, was a little affected as well, but yeah. No, he does. He yeah. But I'm saying what I'm saying is that. Albert Finney did such a good job with this role that I don't know if I could picture anybody else doing that. So when I saw that note about Trey Wilson was their first choice, I'm just like, I don't know what that character of Leo would have been like. I I only know the guy from Raising
1: Arizona, really. So I'd have to see other things he'd been in. That's pretty much how he is. That kind of
0: Southern. Accent. Wow. Have you ever seen, um, what's he in? Was he in, uh, I think I'm confusing him with somebody else. He wasn't in Northern Exposure, was he? I don't think so. I okay. haven't watched any
1: Northern Exposure in a long time, but maybe. But-
0: he's the one if everyone out there doesn't know who we're talking about. Trey Wilson is the one that's talking about. He's got when, when in Arizona, raising Arizona, when they're looking for his son. They're like, can you describe the just you describe what your son was? Wearing? He's got his pajamas on. It's like Yoda's and shit. Like that guy. That's the guy. <laughs> 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 yeah, I found their accent in this film
1: really well done. I really liked that Irish gangster accent, but it wasn't, they weren't using their full accent Mm -hmm. because it did seem like they had been in the States for a while. I thought that was really, really good. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And again, their use of the slang was just so natural. And that could just be because that their accent really made it flow.
0: Yeah. Uh, This is the first, when I watched this movie back in, I think I watched this on video. So you're probably talking like early nineties. I probably watched a cut. I might've watched it either before or after Fargo. Cause I want to say Fargo was the first time that I was exposed to the Coen brothers. Oh, not, not a bad way, everyone. Uh, <laughs> so, so, and then I went back and watched some of their older stuff. But, um, I just remember like, cause this is the first time I saw Gabriel Byrne in something. And I was just like, wow, he's so good. Like, I just remember loving this film and loving everybody in this film and just like going out and seeking their other roles and other stuff they were in. At some point in my, my young film writing, filmmaking, film loving, you know, storytelling life where I I was watching movies for who was in them. And then Mm -hmm. at some point it became, I started watching movies for who did them, who wrote them, who directed them. And this was around that time with the Coen brothers. But I just remember loving everything about this movie back then. I just sought out everybody who was in it and everybody who was behind the screen on, uh, behind the scene on that. So I don't know where I was going with that, but that's basically what I said. My first Gabriel Byrne movie was End of Days. Not a not, good way to introduce yourself. No, not at all. Because I remember watching that I was just like, mm, come on.
1: <laughs> it was okay. It was more interesting for Arnold to be in it than it was for being a movie. Right. It was kind of a ruined concept. What did you think of the uh,
0: theme, the score? <clears throat>
1: uh, I was hit or miss on the score. Okay. They're the main theme. I do not like it all because I do not think it fits the film. Really? I think it fits that outside forest theme. I think it fits like a, like a child growing up in the South or in the suburbs kind of a thing and coming back to it. Like that's what I like, what that evokes that theme. Mm -hmm. So I did not like the theme, but when the movie was going, I did like the theme. I did like the score. But I think I don't like the main theme of the movie, which is kind of vice versa. To, a lot of the times when I have trouble with a with the score, or I'm not a huge fan of the score. Mm-hmm. The theme is great, but the rest of the movie is not great. And this time, it's the other way around. I just don't think it fit with the movie. Not that it was bad. I just didn't right. think it fit with what the movie was.
0: Uh, I mean, I politely disagree. I liked it a lot. And I think <laughs> it fits. And it works. And and it kicks in at times when... um, It kicks in at times, not whimsically, but when... Something's happening that you're like it's almost kind of like a reveal, like something like the story. Like you're, it kicks in when you're learning stuff in the story. You're learning um, about the characters and or motivations or what what has happened. Like you know, like uh, like if Tom has done something, Tom has uh, seen his way through this uh, conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, it kicks in at that point. Um, it's actually based on an Irish folk ballad called "Lament for Limerick." If you're interested, I I did see that. I mean, in that case, it kind of made sense. (laughs) It's used in the Shawshank Redemption trailer a little bit.
1: I thought it sounded familiar. I was going to write down this has been used in trailers, but I can't say what. I actually have that note. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Maybe that's where I've heard it before. Or just if it's based on something, maybe I've heard the original thing. Right. Right. I do like that. Oh, Danny boy plays over the whole Leo scene with the Tommy gun.
0: Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, we, that's the song you have to play there. Absolutely. That's like,
1: that's like the Italian version of like a Pagliato or whatever. Oh,
0: right. (laughs) Right. Right.
1: So I thought that was really, I thought that was good. I also really like Mink, Steve Buscemi's first
0: role. I love how fast he talks. (laughs) I love every time you hear him on the phone. He's like, "What?" When he's like, "I told him. I told him. You told me. What did you do that for?" Like, you just hear oh, him. Oh yeah, they're getting my fa- one of my
1: favorite lines in the movie is just "Jesus, Tommy, fuck, give Jesus." <laughs> As he's walking up the stairs, I was like, "That's awesome." <laughs> I, I didn't think he got it. I was really hoping to see more Steve Buscemi in this role, but it's his first one, so. I mean, I get yeah. he's just kind of like in there.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's just the the beginning of a big, big time career. Yep. Uh, what are some of the lines you like in this film? I just said one. Jesus fuck, Tommy. Okay, well, <laughs> I got one. Then I got. I like. I, I love um, Tom's line when he's like, "Nobody knows anybody not that well." I think that's yep. such a good line. That's such a solid line. I love it, that he
1: brings that back around as well.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: I I like uh, if we're talking the 1920s speak. I love. so take your
0: flunky and dangle. <laughs> 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 i love when eddie dane looks to him and he's like how'd you get that fat lip and he's like and tom's like old war wound x up more around morons <laughs> i like uh, uh, i really like when bernie's trying to threaten
1: tom mm-hmm. and then tom says his little like snyder remarks like he always does and bernie just goes don't do that tom don't do that to me i want to see you sweat a little And when you smart me when you smart me, it, it ruins it. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, that's a good line. He's like really getting the upper hand. And then I also like his line as you're walking out. If Casper ain't stiff in a, stiff in a couple of days, I start eating in restaurants. Mm-hmm. It's like such a stupid line, but it's, it's such a big deal because if he reveals himself, that just simply eating in a restaurant is going to get Tom killed.
0: Right. And the movie kicks off with a great, they have the big meeting. So the meeting happens before the credit sequence. And then at the app, before the credit sequence kicks, you hear, you know, Johnny tells Leo, you know, what he wants. Leo says, no, Johnny leaves. And then Tom argues with Leo as Tom's walking out. He's like, think about what protecting Bernie gets us. Think about what offending Casper loses us. And Leo's, oh, come on, Tommy. You know, I don't like to think. And Tom's like, yeah, yeah? well think about whether you should start. It's just like that, that whole series of dialogue is just like, oh, that's so well written. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing though. Like I could go through these Coen brothers films and just pick out all these like, these, these simple scenes, these simple lines of dialogue that just fit so well. And they're just, their dialogue is a puzzle piece Mm -hmm. to put together the
1: scene. They don't talk. It's, it's not even realistic the way they speak, Mm -hmm. but it works so well within film because it's just so, it's like iambic pentameter with the way Shakespeare does it. It's, it's not quite realistic, but it's so easy. Mm -hmm. And that's why he wrote like that. And that's why the Coen brothers write like that. It's, one conversation between two people but it feels like one single thought almost Mm -hmm. so who would you recommend this film to anybody who's going to learn filmmaking that's that's an absolute must this is this is now one of my top coen brothers movies like this is like you have to watch this movie
0: if somebody came up to me and said hey i want to make movies i'd be like well go watch go go watch the coen brothers go start up blood simple and watch every single coen brothers film Every single one. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be joking. I'd be like, no, I'm legit being serious. (laughs) They also, yeah, they also do so much.
1: It's like, I always talk about certain directors or certain writers that like only do one genre. Mm -hmm. It's like the Coen brothers do everything and they're really good at like everything. Yeah.
0: They're, they're, they're really good storytellers. They're, they're, they're great storytellers.
1: I mean, I don't even, I'm not a huge fan of uh, No Country for Old Men, but some of the characters in there that they, they write, is just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Tommy Lee Jones's character, Javier Bardem's villain is one of the most iconic villains. And he, he barely says much Mm -hmm. It's just all due to their writing, the way they have things filmed, the calmness in even the the tensest scenes. It's just, ah, it's so good.
0: Their stories are also stories that are driven by characters. Like stories are about characters and the decisions they make. Not all characters make the right decisions. You know, that's true. Yep. They're a prime example of their stories are because you bring up a brother right there. Like a lot of that story is Josh Brolin's idiocy. Yeah. Taking that <laughs> money. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Like, but like, you know, like, cause people are like, Oh, why would you do that? It's like, because that's his character. And now <laughs> this is what happens. Characters always drive story and they are a perfect example of, of when they write and, 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 and what happens in their stories is specifically because what are the characters choices are. And and that's, that's just, that's just great, great writing. So you would recommend this to anybody that who wanted to love storytelling, wanted to make movies. You wouldn't recommend this to just anybody.
1: Oh like, no, that's first and foremost who I would recommend. This right, to. right, right. I would also recommend this to anyone who loves a good crime movie because I think it's criminally underrated. Like I didn't really even, I think I had heard about it maybe in film school. No, I've never shown it. Uh, obviously the Coen brothers, other films i had watched in film school, uh, but they did not teach Miller's crossing, but I, I really think they should. Mm-hmm. It's just, I think anybody who loves a good crime film, this is so well done. It's so underseen. I think the acting's phenomenal. It's a story that's very interesting. It's all about kind of the consigliere character, mm-hmm. which I also don't think is done very often. Usually it's about the mob bosses or maybe they're in four lower level guys. It's usually not about the the, the right-hand man. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so well done, done in a 1920s time period that honors it so much, but doesn't go over the top like, you know, Dick Tracy or The Shadow, mm-hmm. but also doesn't underplay it uh, in a way where it's just like, ugh, why set this in the 20s if you're just going to talk like normal? I think it's just so well done that I think anybody who likes crime movies as well,
0: there's just so much to to like about this film. Mm-hmm. So, why are we saying it's forgotten then if it's such a great film? Uh, Goodfellows. (laughs) Goodfellows. I think,
1: especially like State of Grace, yes, as well, was destroyed by Goodfellows. But I think this one is uh, like, I can't see anybody going into I mean, like you said, Raising Arizona was a a comedy. Mm -hmm. But Martin Scorsese is known for his dramas already by this point. So, if you're going to go look, find a crime film. If that's what you're into, that, that weekend that you go to the theater, you're watching Goodfellas. And the reviews for Goodfellas are only going to keep catapulting it into the sky. And unfortunately, it kind of buried this film.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, of of the Coen Brothers films, I think this is a forgotten film mm-hmm. uh, in their Pantheon of films because Fargo is amazing, and Fargo is you know rightfully so celebrated. But they've and they've done other Coen th- like Brother art. Does a great film. They're they're all great, and I keep saying it. I'm not going to keep saying it again. But, um, <laughs> but I think this is of their films. I think it's forgotten, and because when you go back and look at like, because usually I'll go through, uh, you know, I'll go through reviews. Mm-hmm. I'll try to find reviews to piss you off like you know so I cause <laughs> I had an, I figured you'd like this film I hoped you did um, but later, I, I go back to try to find bad you know a better view there isn't any they're all just they're all lauding how great this film is and it's just baffling that not enough people talk about it like there's certain people like I can talk like you know I cannot talk with you about Miller's Crossing but I talk with my buddy Adrian all the time about Miller's Crossing we're <laughs> always talking about this film we we you know that's the thing like it's just it's one of those films like when you watch it you're just like you just want to talk about it and you just want to kind of replay what you just saw and what you just heard um, it's it's such a great film and I would I would recommend it to anybody and to and if somebody said like they didn't like it I'd be like you got to tell me why they didn't like it because not that I would convince them otherwise but it's just such a solid film that it deserves to be. It deserves to be praised and it deserves to be put up there with a lot of other films of theirs and any, any film. And I even love the fact that they turned down Batman because it would have interfered with this movie. They were I read Batman. that and I yeah. was so
1: curious. I was so like, what would a Colin brothers Batman movie? See, I don't want that. Like? I don't want them doing any
0: kind of, st- I want them to do their movies. Don't like just their movies, do your movies. Don't, yeah. But
1: I'm- you don't know what kind of Batman, were they just offering them the Batman that was already written or were they saying take Batman and do what you want with Batman?
0: It probably would have been like Christopher Nolan doing Dark Knight. It probably would have been something like that—a more serious Batman. It I don't know. Have been, it might
1: have had some comedy in there, maybe,
0: but not like their comedy is very dry. It it's is not, That's what I love about like the, I love those scenes
1: where they're breaking down the uh, sure the stupid uh, speakeasies.
0: Well, look at Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona was hilarious. Oh you yeah, know? that's a straight up just stupid comedy. But yeah, just freeze! Everyone, get down! Which <S laughs> is it, young fella? you want if i freeze i can't likely get down and if i get down i'm, well, I'm in motion <laughs> freezing arizona and burn after
1: reading are definitely and the lady killers are just like stupid comedies. i right
0: know uh, <laughs> people give sh- the lady killers shit all the time because they don't like tom hanks and it's like It's like, oh, he he can do other things besides the other stuff he does before. Yeah. But but also, like, go watch the original. The Lady Kills is a remake. Go watch the original. Shit. Go watch True Grit. They remade True Grit. Everyone loves True Grit, and their True Grit is amazing. Oh, the (laughs) the remake of True Grit is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Anyways,
1: (laughs) I love that you mentioned that, uh, like, you were talking about this movie with Adrian. I love the note about Barry Sonnenfeld really like this was one of his favorite movies to do and his mm-hmm. note about why is because it was so easy yeah <laughs> but was, the cinematography is great and yet
0: he's like yeah it was really easy well that's the thing too they like uh, they know what they want like the coen brothers they 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 um storyboard everything they shot list everything they know what they want everything even like uh cuts to like people walking like their feet they know that so you know there's not much cause for, and, and that's not to say like people can't, you know, actor goes on set and changes the line. They're not going to punch him in the face. But right. It's like a lot of times you have directors who will come on set and they have no idea what they want to shoot. And sometimes it works for directors. Some directors who are super talented, it works for them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have directors that don't know what they want because they're not confident. And when they get on set, they waste time trying to find the shot on set. And that's where you run into trouble. And, but they know what they want. And they know what, and I'm sure they have constant conversations with Sonnefell. Sonnefell also likes this film because he married his wife uh, at the rap party. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that the movie. rap party was the marriage, yeah. <laughs> so that's another, but yeah, no, he's a, uh, it's such a, it's, it's a near perfect film and it's so good. And I love it. I love it to pieces. And I hope if you have never seen this film, I hope you find it and you, and you watch it, you know, and, and I, I'd love to hear what people thought about this movie um, because it's not one of the Coen Brothers films that's always talked about, you know? absolutely like, that's yeah. why I like this and blood i still
1: haven't seen blood simple either but like those two movies are the ones that you keep talking about how how good they are and i'm like those are two like i've i had heard of miller's crossing i'd never even heard of blood simple
0: oh yeah blood simple so is like, the first one blood simple I gotta, I gotta yeah these out. you talk blood simple is the one where they they did the they're the ones that put the two pieces of wood together and put the camera in the middle kind of like sam raimi like when they do the, that whole thing that's okay from, yep. that's from blood simple so okay. yeah, that's where that's where that comes from, and I they think they do that
1: once uh, in this film as well.
0: Yeah, so that that uh, I'm pretty sure they origin- they're the originators of that shot. Um, okay, so but yeah, you should uh you should definitely check out Blood Simple. I think there's actually a Criterion Blu-ray of Blood Simple that just came out, or a new version or something like that, Uprest or what have you. But
1: I was almost positive Prime Video had all these movies as part of the Coen Brothers collection, like a playlist. Hmm. And then they took it away. So maybe it's because Criterion bought it. Maybe. But they I, were all streaming at one point in on one collected place.
0: I'd have to check and see if they have, I mean, usually I see the ads for the Criterion's new grouping and collection like they actually have an ad for them, but I'll check them out. Maybe, maybe the they're on it's <laughs> Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, where can they find us? You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com
1: or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all the other great podcasts and video content we got for you guys. Uh, there's other people doing stuff on Forgotten Entertainment that you should check out. It's really good. Uh, and whenever, wherever you're listening to us, why don't you hit a like, a subscribe button, uh, you know, a rating, all, all that good stuff helps the podcast. And uh, that's what I got. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, next week, this was... This is season, this is episode 13 of season 15. So season 15 is over. And Whoa. next week is the beginning of the end. So if you haven't, <laughs> if you haven't heard already, we are wrapping up the show. The show is ending. We don't like each other anymore. <laughs> <laughs> He's the Paul to my John. <laughs> uh, who's Yoko? Uh, so anyways. Yeah. So season 16. A six night in he- the life of Jimmy Reardon. Is <laughs> <laughs> Folks. <laughs> So season 16 is our last season. We're going to do 13 episodes, 13 final films, and then we'll do one more bonus episode where we'll just kind of reflect on the the four years it's going to, it'll be, it'll be right at four years where, this, where episode 13 of season 16. We'll be sloppy, airs. drunk and crying. Oh, we should drink. I didn't <laughs> even think of that. So, but we're starting off next week with a movie from 1995 that I always talk about and there's never seen. It's called Living in Oblivion. It's about independent filmmaking in New York city. And I love it. And that stars Steve Buscemi. Uh, so hope, it's in the 90s though. So we probably uh, never can find this film anywhere. So <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be fun to look for. Uh, but that is next week to kick off our final season, Living in Oblivion. Until then, dry those tears, Mike. Until uh, then, everyone have a great week. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema.